Hello, and welcome to another virtual author chat with the Poison Pen Bookstore. I'm John Charles, and today the Poison Pen is honored to have with us author Rosalind Brackenbury, whose new book is Bone Whispers. For those tuning in, the Poison Pen does have copies of Bone Whispers on order, and we would be delighted to hold one for you or put one in the mail. Just give us a call or go online to the Poison Pen Bookstore. And now I, I would like to welcome author Rosalind Brackenbury. Yes. Um, Roz, I go. Ross, Osland, yes. <laughs> Thanks. Um, well, it's nice to be here. Thank you for inviting me. And it's always a pleasure to uh, talk about a book once it's written. So I'm happy to be doing it. Thank you. Before we get into your new book, um, what can you tell us? What would you like to tell us about Rosalind before you became a published writer? Well, um, I, I was published fairly young, actually. So before that, I was mm -hmm. sort of a young person <laughs> trying to <laughs> trying to write. I've always done it all my life. Um, my first book came out when I was about 26 or seven, a wow. uh, long time ago. Um, so it's been a sort of patchy progress since then, as writing often is. But it's what I've, I sort of wanted to do it all my life. So okay. it's been there pretty much forever. Yeah. But you did actually go to school and got a degree in history. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. Was the idea to teach or you just wanted to write and that was a... Well, I wanted to write and my parents, I wanted to read English actually, but my parents uh, thought that if you could, you didn't need to study your own language. <laughs> <laughs> so I'd better do something that was in their view more sort of respectable, I guess. Um, although a lot of my friends were doing English. Um, so, But history has actually been really useful to me because I've you know, used it in fiction quite a bit. Yeah, it actually comes into play with your new book, Bone Whispers, because it's kind of a dual timeline story. What can you tell us about the book? Well, it is, as you say, a, a double timeline. Um, one of the, it's in, set in twenty sixteen, in the pre, in the nearest to the time to the present, which is actually when I started writing it, and it's which is before the election of two thousand and sixteen, and before England, before Britain. Um, went for Brexit and moved out of Europe. So it's like a, it, that era is sort of poised on the edge of change, I think. And then the earlier era is 1952, when the protagonist is just 10. That's shortly after the end of the Second World War, and it takes place in England. Um, and yes, the history comes into it because um, the place it takes place in, it happens in, which is in the southwest of England, in Dorset, is very, is steeped in history of of many people who've tried to invade there and um, all sorts of things like that. And currently, uh, refugees and um, would-be immigrants coming ashore in, in small boats, which well, also- the book, I'm sorry. The book right. kind of opens because your protagonist inherits a house and she's going there and they discover a skeleton. And I didn't realize that the cliffs there kind of every once in a while, I guess, broke off or fell apart or yes yes indeed um it's happening really rather faster now as it is in many oh. places i think um they're quite soft these sandstone cliffs and crumbly and um the sea is definitely coming in and so there the beaches are getting narrower and yeah. um the, the the cliffs are crumbling pretty much every year now yeah you had written something that I found fascinating. You said 
uh, what fascinates me as an author about juxtaposing history and contemporary stories is the idea that we all face very similar challenges in life when it comes down to it, but we deal with them in different ways because of the times we live in. Can you kind of apply that to the book? Um, well, yes, I think um, not that history repeats itself, but that similar situations come around. Mm -hmm. And um, the aftermath of the Second World War in England was a particular situation in which people were very still very poor and the country was sort of wrecked, really. Um, and I mean, that hasn't recurred, but I think our reactions to history are very much um, into what's happening at the moment, are, are, are conditioned both by our history and by the, the times that we live in in the present. You know, it never, it never really actually repeats, but there are echoes. I see it as a sort of spiral, actually, rather than a circle. Hmm. That's yeah. interesting. Um, I think you've also kind of um, spoken about how bone whispers to you is exploring what it means to be English and how you can only really, I guess, um, look at your own cultural heritage when you've left and then maybe come back. Well, I think so. Yeah. Um, I, as you probably know, I've lived in the United States for quite a long time now, huh? and I'm English originally. Um, my Two of my brothers live in Australia. Um, I talk with expat English people here time to time and we all have this kind of attitude to England of, of of sort of loving it from a distance but being able to see it more clearly than I think if you stayed there you know if we'd lived there all the time I think this is probably true of every country actually that if you leave it and go live somewhere else you get a different perspective on it and possibly a, a clearer one than if you stayed put <laughs> yeah that's true um one of the other things that kind of plays into the story is and I love how you have Nessa reading a book by this author, but Thomas Hardy. Yes. Well, Hardy, that's his country, um, Dorset, um, Wessex in his books. And um, I remember when I first read Hardy, I thought, oh, ah, he's done it already. He's written everything there is to be said about this place. Now I can't do it. But <laughs> <laughs> when I was really a kid. But um Yes, I evoked Hardy because the, my protagonist is returning to her native place, and Hardy's book that comes into this one is is called The Return of the Native. And your protagonist, Nessa, she's kind of also trying to sort through whether something that happened in her past really happened or whether it was part of her imagination. There's kind of a mystery to the story, in a sense. Yes, the mystery is is a lot about connected with memory and the way that one remembers things as a you know that happened when you were pretty young, um, and her cousin tells her oh, several times over that what she remembers isn't actually the case. You know that she's making it up, so she doubts her own memory until she becomes an adult, and then things happen which make her realize that they actually, you know, her memory was correct and her husband, her sorry, her cousin was. Um, in fact, lying to protect herself. One of the other things that I found fascinating about the book is the little historical details that you kind of bring into the story. Um, one example is I never knew that in England, they took down all, if not most, most if not all of the signs because they were afraid of the Germans invading and that people would give strangers misdirections. 
Yes, that was part of the wartime mystique, sort of put out by the war office, I suppose. So as as kids, we were very assiduous after the war to carry on doing that when it really wasn't necessary anymore. Yeah, that happened. Mm. What did you find was the biggest challenge in writing Bone Whispers? Was it writing two different timelines? Was it connecting them? What kind of did you really have to work on in the story? Well, yes, the two timelines was complicated. I have done this before in other novels, and I, I quite like the balance of past and present time, you know, going back into the past from that perspective. Um, but the, the challenge was how to do it exactly, whether to start with the 1952 timeline and move forward, or to whether to have, a, to have it in retrospect. And I worked on that quite a lot um, with my editor's input. And um, I think it's come out the way, I, you know, it's as good as it can be, really. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about your writing process, because at least to me as a reader, when I read Bone Whispers, the choice of words was very deliberate. You're very, it's a very almost economical. There's every word has to count in that particular book. And I'm wondering, since you've written poetry, does some of the things that you do with poetry influence your novel writing? Is that where it comes from? Is it just circumstance? I think it is connected with poetry because in in when you're writing poetry, every word literally does have to count. Yeah. And um you not consciously, but I think you learn how to choose words very carefully. And so that when you're writing something else, you know, if there's an extra word, it um, it sticks out and, and shows. I was also told by, um, I was on a um, long time ago now, a workshop with Michael Cunningham, the American writer, who told me, do you know you've said everything, you say everything beautifully and then you say it again. So you can cut out every other sentence. <laughs> and I've never forgotten that because it was actually very useful advice. And I looked and I thought, oh, my goodness, I do that. I say something and then I say it again just to make sure that the reader has understood. Um, so um, I, I don't cross out every other sentence, but I do look very carefully to see if I've stated something twice now. Does your um, novel writing skills, the tools that you acquired, find their way into your poetry at all? Well, actually, I started writing novels really before I wrote poetry. Um, poetry always seemed to be a little bit of a sort of escape or a relaxation compared with novel writing. And and I grew up thinking that, you know, that novels were the thing and the longer and fatter they were, the, the more impressive, which is difficult. I, mean, I no longer think that. But um, so poetry was has always felt easier. It's, you, know, you, can, you can write a poem in an afternoon, whereas a novel will take might take you 10 years. I mean, poet, poetry can also be rewritten and rewritten, but it's it's like a sort of lighter craft to me, anyway. That's fascinating. Um, let's talk a little bit further about your process, because you wrote something that I thought was apropos to Bone Whispers, but also could be applied on a larger scale. You said a story like, like a human skeleton has to be pieced together to make sense of it. Is that how you write your novels? Are they kind of in pieces and you put them yes. together like a skeleton? More or less, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I coined that that simile for this book, but I realize it is true that um, I tend to be fitting pieces together to mm. make a pleasing whole. And it's 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 quite pretty hard to do, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
you've also taught writing. You've um, taught at the college level. You've written a book, the novel in you. What advice would you give to aspiring writers? What's the first thing you would tell someone who says, I want to be a writer? And just write. Okay. Start with, because a lot of people want to be writers, but they don't actually want to sit down and write. You know, they want to have been a writer yeah. <laughs> or to achieve the success. But no, seriously, um, I think quite an important thing is to just keep going. And I do say this to people on a regular basis and classes. Don't start correcting yourself until you've got the whole first draft down, because otherwise you won't get to the end. Just keep going, you know, and do it every day. Um, I mean, Annie Dillard once said to me, to me, as she here lived in the same place as me, um, you, you know, the novel lives in that room. You go into the room and you you go in with a with a a chair and a whip and you have to tame it, which I think was <laughs> a wonderful simile, but um, or metaphor maybe. Um, but you know, you go back to it every day. And just sit down and write something and don't be too critical and you know suspend your critical judgment until you've got to the end hmm. yeah i think you've also said i'm paraphrasing probably but for any art creative endeavor it's practice that gets you there the the yes. process of doing something whether it's dance or painting or writing you, you have to keep doing it to perhaps achieve perfection and at one point well, I do think so. Uh, and I was one of the generation of writers who were really self-taught because in England, when I was a student, um, there, there really weren't any writing, you know, MFA workshops or anything like that. Um, um, you couldn't get a writing degree. Um, so you, you had to kind of do it on the side, you know, and you had to learn learn yourself by reading other writers, really, is how I learned. Yeah. And one of the other writers that you've written about, and maybe you can talk about how she has or hasn't influenced you as Virginia Woolf. Oh, she was a huge influence. <laughs> yes, I, I remember when I, when I first read her, I was absolutely bowled over and rather made the mistake of sort of trying to write like her for several years. But but you learn something from doing that, I think. You know, it's all right to to have a sort of hero or heroine as a writer and, and try and be like them. Um, but you have to move beyond it eventually. But I did learn a lot from her, and I still love her work. Yeah. What, what can she? What can Virginia Woolf teach writers today? Do you think? What is the message she could impart? Well, she once said that I'm I'm the only woman in England who can write what she likes. So she really had an advantage of publish, you know, owning a publishing house, and 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 great freedom from that. But for that, but um, what can you? Well, I think that she really just struck out in new directions, like writing a a novel which takes place in a single day, mm, yeah. for example. You know, um, she was a modernist and she was inventive and she wasn't frightened to, to, to do a, a very unusual thing. And, you know, I think that's that's very exciting for a young writer to find out. You know, I remember reading The Waves. It was the first one I wrote, read, I think, when I was on a bus in England, and um, I've sort of got to get off almost. Um, and I was thinking, oh my goodness, you can do this, can you? You know, th this is allowed. It was enormous freedom to oh. sort of expand what I thought writing was. So I guess in a sense, it's write what you want to read or write what you want to write. Don't write to the market necessarily. Well, I think it's hopeless to write for the market because you never know what it is. You yeah. know, if you're not writing for the market, by next year, it's changed into something else. 
unless you do a genre, of course, and you know that's different, but that is possible to write for a market. But with fiction, literary fiction, I don't think you know no anyone knows really what's going to happen next. That's true. Um, you have been writing for quite a while, so you have a lot of knowledge that you've gained. What has surprised you about the business of publishing? Oh, it's changed hugely since I first started being published. Okay. Um, I mean, it used to be quite a small, um, a small thing, a much smaller industry because there were fewer writers because we didn't have computers and. I think partly the sheer labor of typing things out sort of three or four times on a typewriter stopped a lot of, you know, no, a lot of people didn't want to do that. It's easier with a computer. And also publishing, um, there've been enormous changes and it's it's probably still evolving. You know, people say that it will grind to an end when everybody's on Kindle, not at all. Books won't exist, they still do. You know, there are all sorts of predictions made that don't actually come true. So I really can't think what publishing is gonna do next, but as long as we can still get books out there. I like physical books myself. Yeah, um, there's actually been an, an uptick in demand by younger readers. They're moving away from so, digital towards physical um, print books. I didn't know that, yeah. I'm quite happy that readers read on on their Kindles and digital devices. I mean, that's fine, but I don't want to. <laughs> <laughs> it, sh it should be a choice. Yeah, it shouldn't be an either or, but you should have the option. Um, I think one of the things that um, you might agree with or disagree with in publishing is that how things come in cycles. Something's in fashion 20 years ago, and then it fades out of the way, and then it comes back again. Maybe slightly different, but essentially at, at the core, it's the same kind of thing. Yes, I think so. And it's always very exciting when somebody who was completely forgotten for decades suddenly springs back into print because somebody mm -hmm. found them. I, I think that's wonderful. Yes, it's. I do think that's true. You get a oh. kind of wind. <laughs> <laughs> what about um, you as a reader? We've mentioned Thomas Hardy, Virginia Woolf. Are there other authors, other books that throughout your life have kind of served as touchstones for you as a reader and maybe as a writer? Well, a lot. I do read a lot. Um, I'm rather sort of an addictive reader. Um, people who've been important to me, writers who've been important to me, Michael Ondaatje enormously. Um, and I love the work of Anne Michaels, who is also Canadian. Um, Michael Cunningham, too. Um, gosh, I've, there's so many. I don't know where to, where to sort of end this, but... I'm just rereading re Shirley Hazard at the moment, and um, oh, he's a beautiful yeah. writer. Yes, I, I quite often just go and pick a book out that I have and reread it, you know, and think, oh yes, well of course Tolstoy. I mean, huge <laughs> War and Peace. I've read it twice in my life, and it had struck me completely, you know, overwhelmed me both times. <laughs> yeah. Um, in addition to writing books, poetry, and things like that, I believe you're doing something called Substack? Yes, or, I am. <laughs> yeah. For those that may not be familiar with that, what exactly is that? Well, Substack is the, uh, is the most accessible and user-friendly way of being on social media, I think, because it's very, well, as I say, it's, it's easy, easy to do. A lot of writers seem to be on it these days, so you can also get to read very interesting people. And I just sit down and do one every Sunday morning. Um, on some aspect of writing. And um, recently my daughter's been illustrating them, which has been nice. Mm. 
Um, yes, I'm not a big fan of social media because it mystifies me, frankly. <laughs> but Substack is pretty straightforward, and they, you also don't feel that you're going to be bombarded with, you know, advertisements and publicity of all sorts. Yeah. So other than Substack, do you have a website? How can readers find out more about I do, and it's rosalindbrackenbury.com. Yes, do do look at it. Now, I know you've mentioned you've been writing a, um, for a long portion of your career and your life, but you've had some interesting jobs along the way. You worked as a deckhand, I believe. Yes, I did. When I first came to Key West, I was wanted to do something completely different from teaching and reading and writing and bringing up kids and, you know, I wanted something I'd never done before. So I fell in love with the schooners that went out of Key West yeah. every evening and um, actually wrote a novel about this, um, this whole experience as a deckhand. I wasn't a very good deckhand, but I did do it for a whole season, a um, bit more actually, um, on a beautiful schooner called the Wolf which sails out of Key West, or used to anyway. Wow. So that's kind of like um, an earlier version of the television show Below Deck or something like that, if you're familiar yeah. with that. Yeah, no, I don't know that, actually, but um, um, I think doing scandalous. Odd, odd jobs like that, you know, it gives you something to write about, because otherwise we're just sitting in our rooms. Yeah. You know? <laughs> so. And you've also worked as a newspaper editor, is that correct? Yeah, sorry about all these planes. It's the planes go out of Key West all afternoon. Oh, that's right. Sorry, I didn't hear the question. Um, you've also worked as a newspaper editor. Well, I wasn't an editor. I was um, I was the book person, the, the head of oh. book reviews, book reviewer for ten years on the local paper, very good local paper here. Um, this now it doesn't exist anymore. Um, called Solaris Hill, and I had a wonderful editor who pretty much printed everything I wrote. I did about a couple of artic articles every week and I reviewed some re uh, one of them was a book review so that that was a, another career yes did you find having been a writer when you're asked to review other authors books is that a challenge because do you want to be honest but you also want to be sympathetic to well for, uh, my attitude towards reviewing is that if you love a book push it out there and talk about it and mm -hmm. give it a review and if and frankly if I didn't like them I would just give them back to my editor and he said well I'll just hide it under the desk <laughs> <laughs> I don't like giving negative reviews to people you know you know that they've worked extremely hard on this particular book and it just makes people feel depressed mm -hmm. so I, I I'd had that that system <laughs> that's <laughs> yes. a good system um can you tell us or would you like to tell us anything about what might be in store for readers from you well um I'm not sure whether I'm going to jinx it but my uh, feel free just gave, to let it remain a mystery. My agent gave me a challenge a few years ago, just before COVID, actually, saying, I bet you could write a mystery. I mean, this one is a mystery, as you say, but, no. it, but actually a deliberate mystery in which there's a, you know, a murder and you have to find out who did it. So I did that to almost to sort of amuse myself during the year, the lockdown. Um, mm -hmm. And it's with my agent at the moment. So who knows? It it might appear. I had It was a bit more like doing a puzzle than writing mm -hmm literary fiction is you know um but it was also kind of easier because you have you have a plot you know you, you, people are going to have to know by the end who did it and what happened hmm. so that's, that's possible but i'm not not saying it's definite 
<laughs> Are you a reader of mysteries in addition to everything else that you well, read? Well, when she said this to me, I thought, what, me? I don't write mysteries. And um, then I started reading mysteries. And yes, I do read mysteries now. And I, I didn't since I was a teenager. But um, I'm particularly hooked on the series by um, the author of uh, Harry Potter, who does a, you know, she's... Oh, Galbraith. Galbraith on yeah. her series. They're, they're great. My brother and I spin them back and forth between each other. Um, and which teaches me that the characters, I mean, the nice thing about it is the characters are really more interesting than the, than the plot. But the yeah. plot has to exist but for them to do stuff. But... Um, the characters have to be there so that's I always like doing writing character yeah yeah I think that's an important point for mystery readers you can have a one-off a book like Gone Girl that thrills them but readers want to come back to the same characters so you have to dedicate equal amount of time to developing them as interesting yes. people yes I mean sometimes you read a book and you think well I actually don't care what happened yeah. sorry <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's true I can't believe how quickly our time has flown by. We've been very fortunate to have with us author Rosalind Brackenbury, whose new book is Bone Whispers. Before we leave, can you tell us just a little bit more about the book, what readers can look for in it? Oh, sure. Well, it's set in a place that I know and love, um, so that set, the setting was a, a pleasure to do. Um, and it's really about truth and lies and the truth of, you know, uh, trusting your own memory and how, how childhood affects your adult life. I have a quote from Michael Ondaatje about that at the beginning of the book. Um, how we change inside, but there's always that child that we were as well. You know, we change a lot on the outside, of course, but the, I think that people carry their, I mean, it sounds a bit of a cliche, the inner child and everything, but I think we're... Essentially, we don't change. There's something about us that was formed, you know, when before we were 10 years old or so. Um, so it's about that. Um, it's also about Brexit and immigrants and the politics of the Second World War and um, a love affair, um, all that. <laughs> yes. There's there's a lot packaged very neatly into one book. <laughs> put it there. Um, before we go, I do want to just ask, because it fascinated me, the title is so apropos because it really kind of gives you a sense of what's going to happen. Was that the first title that you and your uh, publisher came up with or did it? Well, no, it was actually my agent who came up with that. I've had all sorts of other titles and she said, I know what we should call it. And I thought, really? Um, <laughs> but she was right, obviously. Yeah. Yeah, no, it um, it kind of it gives you a sense of what's going on. It also kind of underscores the whole theme, how um, skeletons and bones can speak truths later yeah. on. Yes, like, I think it's a great title now, but I was a little bit stunned at the time. I thought, <laughs> is anyone going to like that? Yes, but they do. <laughs> it's good. Um, mm. it's, a, it's a fitting title for a wonderful book. We're very fortunate to have had some time with author Rosalind Brackenbury whose new book, Bone Whispers, will soon be available in bookstores or libraries near you. I'd like to thank the author for taking time to be with us today. And for those tuning in, thank you for joining the Poison Pen with another virtual author chat. Hello. We hope you're enjoying our programs and podcasts with authors. We'd like to expand them, and your help would be appreciated. Please make a donation at poisonedpenfoundation.org. 100% of the proceeds will go to help connect authors with readers in this difficult time.
Thank you.